Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 10 is where we're going to start this morning and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. It goes out to strange countries and countries that we're familiar with. And yet it always does the same work. And the work of God and the word of God is to change us, to help us, to strengthen us, to empower us, to help us turn to you. May that happen this morning. May the word of God speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah 15, beginning in verse 10, let me read our passage. Woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me as a man of strife and a man of contention to all the land. I've neither lent nor have men lent money to me, yet everyone curses me. The Lord said, Surely I will set you free for purposes of good. Surely I will cause the enemy to make supplication to you in a time of disaster, in a time of distress. Can anyone smash iron, iron from the north or bronze? Your wealth and your treasures I will give for booty without cost, even for all your sins and within all your borders. Then I will cause your enemies to bring it into a land you do not know, for fire has been kindled in my anger. It will burn upon you. Thou knowest, O Lord, remember me. Take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. Do not, in view of thy patience, take me away. Know that for thy sake I endure reproach. Thy words were found and I ate them. And thy words became for me a joy and a delight of my heart. For I have been called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. I did not sit in the circle of the merrymakers, nor did I exalt. Because of thy hand upon me I sat alone. For thou didst fill me with indignation. Why has my pain been perpetual and my wound incurable? Refusing to be healed? Wilt thou indeed be to me like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand. And if you extract the precious from the worthless, you become my spokesman. They, for their part, may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Then I'll make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. And though they fight against you, they will not prevail over you. For I am with you to save you and deliver you, declares the Lord. So I will deliver you from the hand of the wicked. And I will redeem you from the grasp of the violent. I don't know about you, but have you ever been involved in an endeavor... Whereas after a period of time, you said, you know, I am so done with this. <laughs> Maybe it was uh, uh, something you were doing uh, as a hobby. Perhaps it was your work or something that you were involved in. And you just said, you know, I've had it up to here and I am done. I suppose all of us have had that one way or another. But where it gets hard is when it involves um, ministry when it involves uh, people, ministering to people. Now, I have to say, in the 27 years that I've been a pastor here at this church and been on staff, that there have been times uh, 
at the end of a week where I said, I am so done with this and ministering to people. Now, there's some of us who would say, well, Pastor Neil, Pastor Neil, don't you know the joy of the Lord is your strength and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? And uh, thanks for sharing that. Uh, At that time, I probably, at the times of discouragement, I would have probably said, I am still so done with this. Now, why am I talking this way? Well, Jeremiah has reached that point in his ministry. He's been faithful. He's been preaching the word. But nobody's listening. And if you remember last week, we, we saw that Jeremiah prayed three times. Three times he prayed. And the Lord told him, don't pray for this welfare of the people anymore. And then he ends in, in chapter 15. If you remember verse 1, he says, even... If Moses and Samuel were here, I wouldn't listen. He's been faithful. And he says, you know, I haven't done anything. You know, he uses lending or or borrowing. Everybody curses me. He's discouraged. Yeah. He's gotten to a place of what they call compassion fatigue. Compassion fatigue. Now, there's really two things going on here. One is Jeremiah shares his heart, and then the Lord responds to him. And we'll look at that, but I've interjected in our outline, if you look in your bulletin, five areas of concern that appear in the New Testament. And the New Testament uses the phrase... To lose heart. To lose heart. Which means, I just don't care anymore about this. I want to talk about this. Now, uh, I'm not going to try and fix you if you're in that place this morning. (laughs) That's not my purpose. But my purpose is to show you from the scriptures that this is not, even as Peter says, not some strange thing that has come upon you, but is common to many who are involved in ministering to people, ministering the gospel of Jesus Christ, whether it would be in a professional sense as being a pastor or just uh, one of the folks who is trying to see the work of the Lord done in their family, in their business, in their acquaintance, in their neighborhood. So let's take a look. First, we want to talk about Jeremiah and um, sharing his heart, speaking about where he's at. He's very frank. And there's five distinct things, and we'll just kind of march down the chapter and take a look. First thing we see about Jeremiah, he is very emotional. Verse 10, woe to me, my mother, that you have borne me. Now, he's not against his mother. He's not saying something about his mother. What he's saying is, I wish I was never even born. I wish I was never even born He's worn out. This is not something that has happened suddenly, just a one-time event, one-day event. Matter of fact, he says in verse 18, my pain is perpetual and uh, my wound is incurable. This has been going on for a while. And he has reached the point where he can't see any end. There's no end. 
It's a painful situation, and there doesn't seem to be any ending to it. It's just going to go on and on and on. And he is saying, I'm done. I'm done. Matter of fact, non-existence would be better than what I'm suffering right now. Now, some of us maybe have reached that place where we say, you know, I'd just rather be dead. I'd rather be with the Lord. Some of us might even have said or thought about suicide at one point or another. Jeremiah is kind of there. Existence, non-existence would be better than what I'm going through right now. Because there's no end. It just looks like it's going to go on forever. He's very emotional. He's very emotional to say that. And the reason he's being very emotional is because he's not thinking rationally. That's the next thing. Look at verse 10. Second half of verse 10. He says, I haven't done anything wrong. And everybody's yelling at me. Everybody's cursing me. I'm having nothing but problems. And I haven't done anything wrong. He's not thinking rationally. Why do I say that? Well, I have in your notes uh, verses, chapter 1, verses 17 through 19. That goes back to his original call. Do you remember what his original call was? God told him, listen, you're going to preach my word, and my word is going to cause trouble. It's not you. It's not you, Jeremiah. It's not going to be you personally, but they're going to be against you. But as a matter of fact, I'm going to make you like a, like a, a solid piece of brass, a solid piece of iron, and I'm going to hold you against these people. See, he forgot. He's not thinking right. He forgot that the Lord had told him, the problems you have will not be about you. It'll be about my word. And I'll strengthen you, make you strong against these people. So he's not thinking rationally. Thirdly, he's losing his patience. Now look at um, verse 15. The Lord speaks to him and he comes back and he says, Thou who knowest, O Lord, remember me, take notice of me and take vengeance for me on my persecutors. (laughs) And then he goes on, he says, Do not in view of thy patience. See, he knows the Lord is long-suffering. He understands that. The Lord is long-suffering. And he's long-suffering with Jeremiah's enemies. But he isn't interested in God's long-suffering. He's saying, God, thank you for being long-suffering with me. But get them now. Do it now, Lord. Get my enemies now. Now, we're always looking for the long-suffering of God for ourselves. Amen? And we're asking, we're asking God, he's saying, get my enemies now. Don't be giving me this long suffering with them. He's, he's running out of patience. He's running out of patience with his enemies. Fourthly, Jeremiah is feeling sorry for himself. Look at verses 16 and 17. Now, I might be adding to the word of God, but you can almost hear there's a slight tone of whining here. My words were found of Adam. You know, I was in the Word, and they were joy. You know, and I haven't sat with the merrymakers. I've been, you know, I have really, really served your Lord, and now, what are you going to do for me? There's almost that tone there. Now, do you remember another prophet who was like that? You remember the prophet Elijah? 
Remember, he was at Mount Horeb and he was in that cave. And he said, God, you know, I've gone the full route. There's no one else. Everyone else has really gone astray, but I'm the only one left. And what did God say? I got 7,000 who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Now, you want to watch yourself when you begin to begin thinking that God owes you. You know, I've really been good, God, so you need to come through for me. Be careful. (laughs) Um, It's only by his mercy, the Bible says, that we're what? Not consumed. Uh, If I do anything or if you do anything that's good for God, it's out of the goodness that have been imparted to you by God. You can't have an account like, okay, God, now I've got some chips and I'm cashing them in now. You're not cashing any chips in on God. And Jeremiah is feeling sorry for himself. Finally, uh, Jeremiah is finding no refreshment from the Lord. Look at verse 18. Why is my pain perpetual, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? Wilt thou indeed be like a deceptive stream with water that is unreliable? What is he saying? He's talking about a, a wadi. You know what a wadi is? That's a, that's a dry stream bread. Uh, yesterday we were up uh, at, the, at the abortion clinic sharing uh, the Lord with folks. And we drove over the Santa Ana River. Have you seen the Santa Ana River lately? It looks like a sandbox. A giant sandbox. There's no water in the Santa Ana River. The only time there's water in the Santa Ana River is when it's raining in the mountains or it's raining here. Well, they have that same thing in Jerusalem. A wadi is a dry stream bed. The only time it runs is when it's raining. And so what he's saying is, I come to the river expecting to find water and what? It's a wadi. There's nothing there. It's dry. So I come to you, Lord. I've got this wound. I've got this problem. And you're not, there's no refreshment for me from the Lord. So, this is Jeremiah sharing his heart. He's very emotional. He's not thinking rationally. He's losing his patience. He's feeling sorry for himself. He's finding no refreshment from the Lord. Classic, classic definition of compassion fatigue. Or what we call burned out. Or what the New Testament calls losing heart. Losing heart. Now, I have a couple of balloons here. I want to illustrate. Let's see, was this the balloon? I'm trying to remember which I... That's not the one. <laughs> That's the one. I pre-blew this one. Now, when you're filled with the Spirit and the breath of God is in you, okay, man, you're like this. You're like this. And... You can do a lot for the Lord. You can be strong. You can do. You can fly really high. Didn't fly. Or you can kind of be like this. Okay, there's a big difference between the first balloon 
There it goes. And this balloon. Now, I'm going to point out what the New Testament talks about being in the place where you've kind of lost heart. How, does, how do you find yourself in a position like Jeremiah? How does that happen? Well, in the New Testament, there's five places in the New Testament. Same word, used every time. It describes the fact of losing heart. It, it, it kind of gives us some help of how we would find ourselves very emotional, not thinking rationally, losing our patience, feeling sorry for ourselves, finding no refreshment from the Lord. Let's take a look. So put your bulletin in your in Luke, uh, Jeremiah chapter 15, and let's take a look at five scriptures real quick. First one is found in Luke, Gospel of Luke chapter 18. Luke 18, verse 1. We can lose heart when praying. Now he was telling them, that's Jesus, telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not lose heart. Now, the parable he tells them is a story of a woman who was asking for justice from an unjust judge. You remember the story? And what was happening? Nothing was happening. She wasn't getting any response at all. And he uses this as an example because oftentimes we pray and what happens? Nothing. Or we pray and the exact opposite happens. And we're thinking, ah! And so the strong potential that when we pray, there's a potential that we can lose heart when it seems like the Lord isn't hearing. Or maybe he's working against us in our prayers. Second place is found in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, second place this word is used. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. 2 Corinthians 4, 1. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. So we can lose heart in doing ministry. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor Neil? Well, look down at verse Four, you're giving your heart, you're preaching the word, you're being a good example, you're sharing the love of Christ, and look what their response is. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelieving so they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. They're looking at you like you've got lobsters crawling out of your ears. It's like, what are you, crazy? Get out of here. What are you, nuts? And so we're pouring out our heart and we're seeing nothing happening. And sometimes we lose heart at that. And also, in ministry to ourselves. Sometimes when we have a Romans 7 experience, you know what I mean? When we know what we should do, but we find we're doing the exact opposite. Have you ever had that experience? Romans 7 experience? When you find out the thing that you hate, you end up doing. And the thing that you love, that your spirit loves, you, you never do. And you, and you get really bummed out at yourself. You think, wow, am I, am I even a Christian? How could, I, how could I have done that? How could I have said that? We lose heart in the face of ministry. In the face that we buy the, the lie of the devil. Or our friends do. The next spot is found uh, in the same chapter, verse 16. We can lose heart concerning our health. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. 
We used to be so young and vital and strong. But now, now it seems like we don't pop back so quick. Matter of fact, there is no popping back. (laughs) It just, you know, it just, you wake up in the morning, you feel like you're 80. And you look like you're 90. And you get discouraged. And, and it really, you begin to lose heart when, when there's a sudden, all of a sudden, a, a massive dirt turned down. All of a sudden, there's a, some terrible thing happened. And we get our eyes off the fact that, that all of us are getting decrepit and old. And our bodies are decaying. But what, what is the most important? We get our eyes off the what? The inner man. The inner man is being renewed day by day because that is going to live forever. And so the potentiality is there we can lose heart concerning our health. Look at uh, Galatians 6.9. The next passage, Galatians 6.9. It says, And let us not lose heart, same word, once again, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we shall reap if we do not grow weary. So here we are, we're doing good, and we look around, there's a bunch of flakes. <laughs> Nobody else is doing anything. Or, even as it says in verses 7, 8, and 9, uh, you got guys sowing to the flesh. They're sowing to their flesh and just enjoying the things of the flesh. And we're in there doing good. And, you know, we begin to think, hey, is there anybody here with me? Anybody here? You think, oh, what's the use? It'd be like trying to empty the ocean. Have you ever seen a little little kid at, down at the beach? They'll get this little blue pail and they'll run down the water, dip it in and run, pour it in a hole like they're going to try and empty the Pacific Ocean with that little pail. Sometimes we begin to think, is my good doing any good at all? And we begin to lose heart. Then we can, um, Ephesians 3.13 gives us the last use of this word. 3.13 Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart in my tribulations on your behalf, for they are your, for your glory. We can lose heart in the trouble around us. We look at, we, we wonder, well, why are good people suffering terrible things? Have you ever thought that? Why, you know, why do good people have problems, real problems? And sometimes it seems like the wicked people just kind of skate through life. You know, you think about uh, Sally Kovach. Kurt and Sally are missionaries from Cambodia. I mean, they just, you know, sacrifice their life. They're going to go off to Cambodia and share the Lord. They're in language school and she had a little sore in her mouth and she ends up with cancer. Cancer in her mouth. She never smoked. She never chewed tobacco. How'd she end up with cancer? And then they did the operation over there and they botched it. Her face is all cut up. You think, God... What's going on, Lord? Don't you even care about your missionaries, your people? And you see, and that's what he's saying. You know, don't lose heart as you watch my tribulations, my trials. Sometimes we, we see uh, people we love, people that we care for, missionaries, folks that are really have a heart for Jesus, and they're going through terrible times. And we think, oh. And the phrase that is repeated in Malachi several times is, is it even worth it to serve the Lord? You lose heart. Okay. Well, so far this has really been a depressing sermon. <laughs> how do you... When you're like this, what does the Lord say to you? When you're like this, what does He say to you? Well, 
what he said to Jeremiah. He says the same thing to us. Let's take a look. Go back to Jeremiah. So the Lord responds to Jeremiah. And he responds to us when any of those. Now, if I haven't touched your situation, you get the feeling. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. So the Lord shares what is in his heart. First thing he says is found in 11. After Jeremiah speaks in verse 10, the Lord responds. He says, Surely I will set you free for purposes of good. When I, when I read that, I thought, what in heaven's name is he talking about? I will set you free for purposes of good. Well, the best as I can understand it, as I've read several commentators, and they all kind of danced around it, is the Lord is seeing Jeremiah bound by discouragement, rejection, and fear. He's seeing him bound up by all that's kind of happened to him. And he's saying to him, I am going to, I will set you free, and I will set you free in such a way that you'll be good, you'll do good as a result of me setting you free. There's a passage in Isaiah 41 I found. Let me read it to you. This is what the word of the Lord says. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right I'll set you free, and it'll be for good. Now, throughout history, history of the Hebrew Scriptures, that we find in the New Testament, and all the church age, there have been times when it looked like the sun was setting on the church. The sun was setting on the world of the believers, those who believed in the God of the Bible. It looked like things were done. And guess what? Just at the, at, the, at the time when things looked like they were going to shut down, guess what happened? God opened a brand new chapter. He has done that since time immemorial, since the very beginning of our walk, this human race with God. And he does it over and over again. We don't put our trust in history. What do we put our trust in? We put our trust in the nature and the character of God. Because just about the time when things look the darkest, God promises. And he says that to Jeremiah, and he says it to you, and he says it to me. I will set you free for good, and I'm going to use you for good. That's the first thing that God says to Jeremiah, and he says it to us. Second thing he says is found in verses 11 through 14. I will humble your enemies. I will humble your enemies. And he did that two ways to Jeremiah. Notice what he said. Second half of verse 11. Surely I will cause the enemy to make supplication to you in a time of disaster, in a time of distress. Now, if you have a a study Bible, you'll notice over on the side, there's a listing of Jeremiah 21, verse 2. They're listing of Jeremiah 37, 3 and 38, 14. What are those listings? Those are the three times that King Zedekiah, who was the last king of Jerusalem before it was destroyed, King Zedekiah quietly called Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, come and make supplication. He was considered 
in the hierarchy of Jerusalem that day, persona non grata, <laughs> not welcomed. He was considered a traitor. But the king had to humble himself and said, Oh, Jeremiah, man of God, would you come and pray and ask the Lord if there's a way out of this. He humbled his enemies before him. Then the second way that he'll humble him is found in verses uh, 12 through 14. He says, Can anyone smash iron, iron from the north or bronze? He's saying, The enemy, your enemies are going to try and stop Babylon with their hands. And can anybody stop iron or, or bronze with their hands? Not going to happen. You, you, the armies of Jerusalem will be embarrassed before. Uh, the iron that comes from the north, which we know is a reference to the armies of Babylon. Now, in Acts 18, do you remember the story? Acts 18, uh, Paul is in Corinth. And uh, things are not going good. There's a lot of enemies. Let me, uh, let me read um, Acts 18, just a few verses there. Acts 18, verse 9. Acts 18, 9. Uh, Paul is there and there's a lot of opposition. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. And then it talks about how uh, Paul was there for a year and six months and um, the Jews kind of brought charges and brought him before Galileo, uh, the proconsul, and they were going to try and uh, get him thrown in jail or beaten up. And when Galileo saw that they were just talking about the Jewish religion, he said, get out of here. Get out of here. You know, you guys are going to have to deal with that issue yourself. And then it says uh, in verse 17, and they all took, le- took hold of this guy Sosthenes, who was the leader who, who had brought Paul before the council, and they beat him up. <laughs> they beat him up right in front of Galileo. And Galileo said, whatever, who cares? <laughs> I will humble your enemies. I will humble your enemies before you. Third thing the Lord says to him in verse 19, I will call you to return. So, verses 15 through 18 Uh, Jeremiah responds again. But in verse 19, the Lord says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you return, then I will restore you. Before me you will stand. And if you will extract the precious from the worthless, you will become my spokesman. For their part they may turn to you, but as for you, you must not turn to them. Now, what does he mean when he says, I will call you to return? Um, we would use the phrase, I'll, I'll call you to repent. Now, he's not, saying, now wait a minute, wait a he's not saying that Jeremiah has fallen into gross immorality. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, um, I want you to leave that which uh, you were saying in verses 10, 15 through 18. I want you to come out of that. Stop it. Stop it. And notice what he says. I want you to extract the precious from the worthless. Now, those experiences that you're, you're seeing, uh, you perceive that they're worthless, but I want you to extract from them the precious, which is the truth of my word. 
He's calling him to repent, to come out of that. Now, in the Bible, I've, I've listened in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, verse 16, verse 22, chapter 3, verse uh, 3 and 19. Five times, Jesus calls the church to do what? To repent, to return. Five times. There are seven churches he talked about. Five of them he called them to repent. The church, uh, in order for revival to start, revival never starts with unbelievers. Did you know that? Never starts with unbelievers. It always starts with the church. When the church gets serious with God, then unbelievers get serious with God. And it's not until they see believers serious with God do unbelievers. And so... He says to Jeremiah, I want you to return. Leave that stuff. Come back. Go back in trusting me and, and pull precious things out of what you see as worthless because they're not. There's precious things there you could speak about. Now, Nancy and I were talking about this uh, this week. Now, all of us have had bad experiences, haven't we? Maybe you had a bad experience with a pastor or a church, or your mother, or your father, or your friend. We could raise, all of us could raise hands, couldn't we? And we could start now, we could start right with Shonda here, and everybody would raise their hand, we'd spend the next three hours telling all these horror stories of terrible things that have happened to us. Is that true? All of us have had this? Yes, we have. Okay, now, when... When the Lord calls Jeremiah to return, now we can use the word repent, or here's a, here's a, here's a phrase that's a little bit um, more up to date. Here it is. Just get over it, would you? Just get over it, would you? He's saying, get over it. Are you going to let that one event or series of events control the rest of your life? You're really going to do that? You're really, really going to do that? Let it control the rest of your life? Just get over it. Get over it. You now have the Spirit of God and you have the ability to say, yeah, that happened to me and I learned some things from it and now, praise the Lord, I'm going on with the work of the kingdom. Well, oftentimes we get all strapped up and what happened in the past. And what happened in the past has, does have an effect on us. Amen? Don't deny that. But what did Paul say in Philippians 3? Leaving it behind. Putting that behind and pressing on. Pressing on for that which God has in our lives. So he calls him to return. Final thing he says in verses 20, 20 and 21. He says, I will keep my promises to you. I will keep my promises to you. Now, in verses uh, 20 through 21, they're almost a repeat set of verses that go all the way back to chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, where he told them almost verbatim the same things he's saying here. What I told you at the beginning, that you were going to have trouble, but it was going to be my word that was going to flow through you, and that you'll speak to my people, but I'll protect you and I'll keep you. And no one will harm you. That was his promise. 
And then he, re- he reiterates his promise again. I will keep my promises to you. I was reading through Joshua. Great book this week. That's where my reading is. And in Joshua chapter 23, he's just getting ready to go on to be buried with his fathers. And this is what he says. He's speaking to the people, perhaps the last time. He says, Now behold, today I'm going the way of all the earth. This is Joshua 23:14. Now behold, today I'm going all the way to the earth. And you know in all of your hearts and all of your souls that not one word of all the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. And Joshua is saying, remember everything that God said when you were on the east side of the Jordan before we attacked Jericho? Do you remember? Not one word has failed. He has kept every promise that he has made. And that's what the Lord is saying to Jeremiah. And that's what the Lord is saying to you and saying to me today and where we find ourselves. Now, the application for us is every promise that God made concerning the first coming of Jesus has been fulfilled. Not one of them has failed. Okay? Now, every word that he made for that second coming of Jesus also will be fulfilled as he kept the first promise. So, the promise of the second coming of Jesus, the promise that he will establish his kingdom here on this earth with Jesus ruling from Jerusalem, and the promise of eternity, a thousand year race, and the promise of eternity thereafter, he will keep every single promise. That's what he said to Joshua. That's what he said to Jeremiah. That's what he said to you and to me. Now, okay, oh, okay. Then, Romans 8 has a word for us. Romans 8.18 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And every one of those promises, every one, as he kept his promises for the first coming, he will keep the promises for the second coming. And he says that to Jeremiah, and he says it to you today, where you find yourself in. Does that negate any of your feelings about what you're going through? No. Jeremiah was a believer. He loved God. Were those feelings real? Yes. Can they be experienced by people like you and me in ministry? Yes. Uh, what we need to do, however, is we need to see what the Lord is saying to you. I will set you free from the bondage of fear and discouragement. I'll humble your enemies. I call you to get over those things that have hurt you because I'm going to keep my promises to you. I will keep them. And we put our trust in that. And then we can say, yes, Lord. I would consider the sufferings of this present age not even to be counted worthy 
according to the glory we'll see. And that's the hope, the blessed hope of the Christians. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the words of Jeremiah, how he speaks to us. May you speak to us indeed through them. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me this morning. If we could pray for you, maybe you're like this. You need some prayer, we'd love to pray for you. Please come forward. Whatever you're going through, time of prayer after the service.